Welcome to Agent Provocateur. Mark andre Fleury joining us in a second. Alan, one of your, your favorite people, I think, in hockey, right? Like just the, the guy that, I mean, when I talk to you personally, he's the guy that you talk about so much in with such glowing terms. Yeah, and he, you know, he's he's someone that I've represented since he was 15 years of age. He's 37 right now. So really, we all kind of grew up together uh, with his family, my family. Uh, I remember my kids uh, at his home in Montreal in the summer, swimming in the pool with him. And Mark would uh, come up under uh, my kids and throw them, catapult them through, you know, in, through the air. And we have photos of our kids, you know, five, six feet in the air being thrown across the pool going, you know, 10, 15, 20 feet. Uh, they were, they were little at the time. Uh, so yeah, you, you know, you, you reflect um, certain points in your life about um, uh, how you started, when you started and, uh, and, and Mark and I have always been bonded together in that way. So we're going to tell some some stories. There's some amazing stuff coming up, including his very first contract, um, uh, you know, getting cut early on in his career, uh, you know, like before he even made the NHL. This is a great story because Marc-Andre Fleury, if there's anything he's known for, it's bouncing back and bouncing back in a big way. Um, because that same year he got cut, he gets drafted uh, to the Quebec Major Junior League. But before we get to all that, Alan, the news this week is that Montreal's finally uh, hired their, their general manager. And I think, you know, where a lot of people reached out to us was that their general manager is an agent. You're an agent. And, yeah. you know, I think a lot of people have questions about, A, did you have any interest in being one? Two, what do you think the strengths are that an agent would bring that would be unique to that position? Well, there have been a number of agents who've gone on to become uh, general managers. So just thinking back in time, uh, Pierre Lacroix uh, was longtime agent in Quebec, represented Mike Bossy, represented Patrick Waugh, was uh, uh, maybe one of the best general managers of his era with the Colorado Avalanche. Um, Dean Lombardi was an agent, started off as an agent. Uh, Ray Shiro started off as, as an agent. Uh, working in the uh, agent business, representing players. Um, Mike Gillis um, was a longtime agent before he became the GM in Vancouver. Um, and I'm sure I'm uh, forgetting a few other people as well. So there are uh, a number of um, a number of qualities that you acquire in the agent business that, do directly translate into being a general manager. You know, you are a talent evaluator. Uh, you obviously are experienced at negotiating contracts. What's, what's lacking is the experience of managing a team, mm -hmm. uh, managing a scouting department, and being able to prepare and execute on very important days like trade deadline and free agency. Mm -hmm. You know, imagine on the agent side going into free agency where you're focused on your few clients who are about to become free agents 
And now being a general manager and having holes to fill and having lists of players available that you've ranked in priority of signing out in the open market, being able to jump into that market and navigate to the guys that you want. It's a totally different skill set. Um, if you're asking me if I've ever once thought about being a GM or had any interest in being a GM, the answer is absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I respect people very much who want to work for a club. I understand what it means to uh, chase the Stanley Cup and and growing up loving hockey, what that entails. Uh, but for me, I just could never trade a player. I could never put a player on waivers. I could never uh, tell a player that after several years playing in a city that we're not going to sign him anymore. You know, I have to have my heart behind what I do. Mm-hmm. And I just don't have that drive and passion to, to work on that side. I've always been a player's guy. I've always fought for players' rights. Um, I've always enjoyed uh, and have great passion in taking care of my clients and being there for them and working with them as a, as a advisor off the ice and the one-on-one relationship that develops, not just with the player, but with the player's entire family. They're meaningful relationships that I can never see having if I were sitting on the other side of the table. I just couldn't. I respect it. Mm-hmm. I don't look down on it all in any way. I understand it. But for me personally, it's not something that I would ever, you know, my dad always said, never say never. And I agree with him in every respect, except this one area where I can say <laughs> never. Okay. Now you've dealt with, before we get to Marc-Andre, one last question. You've dealt with every general manager for the last 25 years in the NHL. Yeah. So you've seen a lot of people and you've dealt with the good ones and the not so successful ones. My question to you is for the good ones, you know, for anybody that wants to be a great general manager, if they're a general manager listening right now, uh, or they're a future general manager and that's what they want to be, what qualities in the most successful ones, do you often see? Is there a shared, these three things are the things I off, I always see? Um, or can you tell when somebody's going to be a great general manager? What are your thoughts? Well, it, it's interesting. There's certain people that are indecisive and they have great difficulty making decisions and they agonize over their decisions. And sometimes you see a phenomenon of um, over-analysis leading to paralysis, where people are just constantly over-analyzing, taking in too much data to the point where it's impossible to reach a conclusion. And I think the number one quality, or at least a very important quality to have for a general manager today is to be able to sift through the data and sift through the issues 
weigh the pros and cons of different actions and being able to bring it to a head and make a decision. And uh, there's a lot of people today that just have great difficulty doing that. And I think another very important quality that I recognize in general managers is, is someone who truly does care and is concerned about the well-being of the players. Um, there are some GMs, and over the last 25 plus years in the business, there have been some that just don't care. Hmm. You know, there is a switch there where there is zero conscience. They don't care about uh, the player's well-being, the player's family's well-being, and and approach the business in a mercenary way. Um, now, there are many general managers who are truly good people who act um, with the best of intentions. And uh, you recognize that they have a job to do. I have a job to do as an agent. And like I've said many times, 95% of the time, all of our interests align, the player, the agent, the club, the GM, everybody's aligned. And, and there are times, probably about 5% of the time, when you're just not on the same page and your interests do not align. And uh, when that does happen, uh, it, it can be confrontational, it can get ugly, but it's business. It's not mm -hmm. personal. And, and when the issues get resolved, and every issue ultimately does get resolved one way or the other, um, you move on mm -hmm. and you continue doing business with that person. Um, and there's many people I do business with on a daily basis that I don't like, but it doesn't matter. It's irrelevant. I approach it the same way. I'm going to do my job. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I'm going to do everything I possibly can to, to further my client's interests and take care of them. And if certain people in the media or fans don't like it, well, you know what? I don't work for you. I work for the player. And that's the only thing I care about. And that's basically what my uh, mission has been since I, since I started in the business. Wow. Well, I think, uh, I think the relationships you talk about are, 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 you know, we've seen this with David Perron. We've seen this with Mike Rupp. Um, I mean, heck, we, we had a general manager on a couple, you know, last episode, right. um, you know, Doug Armstrong, I, I think, you know, Alan, what we're going to see today with Marc-Andre Fleury is the relationship you talk about. And I can see why being a GM would not be for you. Um, <laughs> I can understand that because there's a, there's a, uh, there's a connection the two of you clearly have that's really special. And I'm really excited for the audience to get to see it. Our guest this week is the pride of Sorel, Quebec, the number one overall pick in the 2003 NHL draft. I was sitting beside him at the time, an Olympic gold medalist. He's made five trips to the Stanley Cup finals and is a three-time Stanley Cup winner. He's a four-time NHL All-Star, the reigning co-winner of the Jennings Trophy and reigning Vezina Trophy winner, the third winningest goalie in NHL history, a legendary prankster, affectionately known to everyone as Flower. A client of mine since the age of 15, 
It's an honor to welcome to the podcast, Mark Andre Fleur. <laughs> Jeez, thank you, Alan. I feel yeah. pretty old. You know, <laughs> saying all these things. <laughs> Thanks. That's quite the resume. That's oh, pretty amazing. Uh, <laughs> That's so, good. So, so, Flower, when you were uh, 15 years old and the first time we met, uh, did you ever think when you were 37 years old, uh, you'd be uh, coming on our podcast uh, as a guest? Not a chance. I didn't think it would be holding a cell phone and talking to you, <laughs> you know, <laughs> making a radio show on this or a podcast, you know, but um, definitely not. You know, at that point, I just, you know, I always dreamt of the, of the NHL, but I never really actually thought I was going to make it play a long play for 18 years, you know, so uh, this is uh, a big surprise to me. And um, But it's, it's been a lot of fun for sure. Since uh, we started the podcast, uh, the one question I keep getting every week from people is, when is Marc-Andre Fleury coming on? I have uh, people say, hey, you had uh, some great stories this week, and uh, this guest was really interesting, but when's Flower coming on? <laughs> so uh, this has been uh, a couple of weeks in the making, uh, but it's great to have you on and great to uh, be able to share some stories uh, with people out there. Cause you and I over the years have picked up a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely a few. Uh, yeah. but thanks. Thanks for having me. I watch uh, some of your shows. You guys have been uh, doing a good job. It's always interesting, you know, to, uh, find out more about the guys and stuff. So, um, yeah, good job out there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. So one of the things that has been a uh, staple of your career is how over the years you've overcome adversity. And uh, maybe one of the first times you've had to overcome adversity was being cut by your midget AAA team. You want to tell everybody about that? Uh, yeah, I was uh, a little bit surprised when I made that team, right? Midget AAA uh, with uh, Charlemagne. Uh, but then I think. Uh, a little bit before mid-season, um, Olivier Michaud came back from from the junior and then uh, took my spot and uh, they sent me back, back down to Bentham, Bentham uh, and finished the season there. Uh, so that was, uh, you know, a little bit of a reality check, you know, that it's, not, it's never going to be a smooth, a smooth ride everywhere I go, but, um, How old but were it's you? good. Uh, I think at that time it was... Uh, I started 14, so I was 15, 15 when I went back to, uh, to Bentham. And how do you deal with disappointment like that at that age? Um, yeah, it was, it was big, right? Um, I think I remember that night I went for a long run, <laughs> trying to um, relax a bit, you know, because I was, was pretty mad and I was staying with the billet. Uh, family also at that time and they were, they were great to me great to my family um still in touch nowadays um so it was it was definitely hard but um you know i went on back to uh, bentham and uh, you know just just tried to to play good try my best right tried to work at it and um and I had a good you know the season finished pretty good for me there and um then i got drafted uh, to the to the queue so you went from Bantam Double A directly into Quebec Major Junior League with Cape Breton. 
Yeah. Yeah. That mm-hmm. was uh, quite the jump from Bantam directly into, uh, into junior. Not many goalies have been able to do that. Um, if you want to call out the coaches in midget triple A who sent you back now. <laughs> yeah. What are they up to now? I run into him though. Like uh, a few years later, I was uh, with Pittsburgh and maybe it was an exhibition game or something. And he was on the press box and I wasn't playing. So I got to uh, shake his hand. I gave him a good shake and a, <laughs> Look at him in the eye. That's good. He's <laughs> giving like a little bit of an extra squeeze. An extra squeeze, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> now, was it a surprise when you got drafted? And and I guess the other question is, you know, uh, and Alan, maybe you're getting to this. I want to know when you the two of you met. So, uh, Mark Andre, was it a surprise to get drafted the same year you got cut? Uh, it was, and you know that year prior to that, I was playing Bentham the Bolby. Right. So that wasn't, that wasn't great either, you know, but, um, yeah, so it it was, uh, you know, it was, it was pretty surprising. I tell you the truth. I didn't follow the queue too much back then. I just, you know, I knew about obviously, but I didn't, uh, look too much into it. And then, uh, when I got drafted in Cape Breton, I didn't even know what it was, you know, (laughs) so I had to, uh, to look it up a bit, but, uh, yeah, it was a big surprise. Yeah, so uh, you and I were together um, at the Q draft when yeah. you got drafted. Um, but we had met before the draft. Uh, the previous uh, summer, we were outside a hockey rink, and we were sitting outside on uh, on a curb together, and that was the first time that we met. Uh, and then you got drafted into the Q, and uh, the next summer, uh, you and I. And and a bunch of other people ended up going over to Slovakia together for yeah, a uh, summer training camp uh, with Roly Molasson, who was at the time the Montreal Canadiens goalie coach. Yeah, dude, you have a good memory. Alan, how did you find um, out about Mark Andre? Like, how did this happen? How did you guys even end up on that curb together? There is this amazing, amazing gentleman who's worked with me. Um, literally since I got into the business of representing players by the name of Norm Conway and Norm Conway has been involved in hockey for over 40 years. He's been involved in the queue for that long. Uh, when I met him, he was a scout with Victoriaville, one of the teams in the queue. And I, I met him at a hockey game, a midget triple a game at the Verdun auditorium. And after meeting him and talking to him for about a half an hour, I, I walked away from the meeting and I said, this gentleman needs to be working with me. He was incredible. And uh, I was able to steal him away from Victoriaville. It's the uh, best theft that I've ever accomplished in my <laughs> life. Uh, Norm is still working with me uh, and, and our agency to this day and is... Um, in his seventies and just really a remarkable person with an incredible scouting eye. And I vividly recall him telling me because Alan, there's a goalie out on the ice right now here that you have to meet when he comes off the ice. And it was at one of our summer skates for young prospects because his name is Mark Andre Fleury and he's going to be a great, great goalie. And at the time, you were playing Bantam Double A. 
You had yeah. just finished that season, right? So Norm, um, as he likes to remind me every once in a while on our third beer together, uh, predicted all of this for you uh, back when you were playing <laughs> Bantam. That's oh, how geez. good he is. Yeah. 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 He was, so he was that's great. How we he, met. he was like the first guy who approached me and he was always, uh, like you said, very knowledgeable and a great guy. And he still comes to the games once in a while. I, I get to see him in Montreal after games a little bit. And also he's, uh, I don't know, he's, he's definitely a great, uh, great hockey guy. Yeah. And, and you've always um, uh, stayed in touch with him over the years. You invited him to your Stanley Cup parties in, uh, uh, by your home when you had your uh, little celebration day with the cup. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like um, I owe him a lot in order to uh, have helped me, uh, I guess, get recognized, you know, even though I was playing Bentham and, um, you know, get on board with you guys. And then you guys helped me out uh, throughout until nowadays let me let me ask you this alan your first your first impression of marco andre when he was that that young like what you know when you're sitting on that curb what's the uh what do you come away with from that conversation i i actually um remember vividly the conversation as we sat on the curb it was a it was something that i i always remembered and my impression coming away from you know, sitting and talking for about 20 minutes back and forth was how focused Mark was and serious he was about goaltending. He could smile and laugh and be self-deprecating and incredibly self-aware for a 15-year-old, um, yet at the same time can see, even then, that uh, competitiveness and 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 the fire that was burning inside him to to keep going. Uh, we talked a little bit about um, his goaltending heroes uh, in that first conversation, and I remember sharing with Mark that I grew up idolizing Ken Dryden, uh, uh, another guy who wore number twenty nine, and uh, my entire bedroom was Ken Dryden head to toe posters. Um, everything with pictures all on the walls and, uh, and, and, you know, Mark was talking to me about, uh, you know, Marty Brodeur and Patrick Waugh and, uh, Felix Potvin and, and those were guys that, uh, Mark was, uh, looking at back then. So, so, so Mark, you, you, you meet Alan, what's your first impression of Alan Walsh? You remember? Uh, I don't know. It's a while ago. <laughs> I, <guess laughs> I, I took too many bucks in the head. I think, thing, so. um, I think at first that was like um, <laughs> this guy. This guy's from Montreal and his French sucks. <laughs> I remember that because my English wasn't good at all, right? Obviously. And yeah. It was yeah, yeah. barely in English. And then so we. You know, we a little bit battle to uh, to get across each other, but uh, <laughs> it was still good enough, right? Obviously, to uh, to do awesome. <laughs> to, to communicate and yeah, so it was good. Amazing, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you you get drafted, and Alan, you were there for it. Obviously, you know, I, I mean, was it a surprise actually that he got drafted, or were you guys expecting it? And and then you know, then he's off to Cape Breton, which is a completely different area and by the way they only speak english in cape breton so i guess mark andre you had to you kind of had to adapt quickly 
Yeah, I had a few headaches at night uh, yeah. during camp in that first season, but uh, that definitely helped me a lot. Even though I still have a big French accent, um, you know, I, I've learned I've learned a lot over there for sure. Yeah, there was there's one story from Cape Breton that I I always uh, remembered and always got a chuckle from. Uh, there was a game uh, in Cape Breton when Mark got pulled, and uh, the head coach. Pascal Vincent had the uh, goalie on the bench uh, mapping shots uh, where they came from and the amount of shots on goal uh, while he was watching the game. So Mark got pulled and I assume he was uh, not too happy with the situation and he's sitting on the edge of the bench and they gave him the piece of paper and the pen to map the shots. And uh, when the head coach got, the page, the paperback at the end of the game, it was blank. And when you turned the uh, paper over, Mark had written, I am uh, not a statistician. I'm a goalie. <laughs> In French or English? Uh, <laughs> <In> English. <laughs> Impressive. Statistician is not an easy word to spell. No, but I, I asked her uh, a trainer who was <laughs> standing beside me how to spell <laughs> to make sure he wasn't making any mistakes. Amazing. <laughs> so he was That's getting a good laugh out of that. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. I don't know if I would. Yeah, I've talked to Pascal about this, you know, later <laughs> on, two years back, but he had a he had a good kick out of it. But yeah, um, well, well, at the time yeah. I got a, I got a phone call from Pascal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, well, let me know. tell you, let me tell you what Mark. Did. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know, you play, and then like to me, game Paul is very embarrassing, right? It's like. Mm. It's the worst. I hate the feeling, and that means I suck too, right? So I, I was mad and frustrating, and then you know you sit there and then they give you the paper right away to take shots. And like, oh, I don't know. It was, uh, yeah. So <laughs> let's uh, let's talk about uh, going number one overall in the NHL draft. Uh, what do you remember about that uh, that four or five days in Nashville uh, where the draft was held? Yeah, um, it's was, it was a good time, you know. It's uh, obviously been around. Um, I think it was such a good draft, right? Like now, these guys are still playing and played for many years, you know. And uh, we got to hang out a bit um, during the team's interview. I thought it was always uh, stressful, and uh, I was, you know, pretty shy kid. So it was it was tough to. Uh, Sit there in front of all the, you know, the front office from a bunch of teams, right? Um, but it, you know, it's was, it was good to it's good to do it. Good experience, and um, I had a lot of family too that came that drove down, flew down, aunts, ankles, cousin, uh, obviously mom, dad, sister, my wife now, um, Alan, David. Um, I don't know it was my billet, my junior billet was there. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, the I should have said they've been, uh, you know, still in touch, and they're amazing people, right? And uh, I was glad, glad that they could uh, be there and see it. So it was, uh, it was a bit of a crazy few days, but uh, definitely good memories. Yeah. So there was a trade that went down the morning of the draft, okay, uh, between Florida and Pittsburgh, where Florida acquired the number one overall pick, and uh, I got a call. Uh, that said, um, Mark is going number one. And I remember we were in the lobby of the hotel 
it was 95 degrees in Nashville that day with incredible humidity. And the hotel was about seven, eight blocks from the rink. And I said to Mark, I said, Mark, do you want to know um, what's going on or do you want to be surprised? And Mark said, I want to be surprised. I want to be surprised. And then he goes, Oh, no, tell me, tell me. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, uh, there was a trade it's, it's Pittsburgh and, and you're, you're going to go number one. And I remember the look um, in your eyes because you you really hadn't thought that week that you were going one because Florida didn't need a goalie. And, and when the trade happened and, you know, I, I had a feeling when that trade happened, they were trading to get Mark, you, you know, and then it was confirmed. And, and then it was like, um, I'm getting calls from uh, NHL network, TSN, everyone's calling like, where's Mark? You know, we want to interview him. A French TV is calling and we're still in the lobby of the hotel. And uh, we're like, let's just walk, which was a, terrible mistake (laughs) as we're walking together from the hotel to the rink um, within a block, we're both soaking wet. Right. And now, and it was surprising for Nashville, but people are stopping you on the street, you know, wanting your autograph and they have, uh, you know, cameras and they're taking pictures and, and I, and I got one arm around your waist. And I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Everyone's waiting. Everyone's waiting. And I just imagine, you know, the draft starts, uh, number one, Marc-Andre Fleury, there's an empty seat. <laughs> like, we got to get to the, we got to get to the building. And, you know, we got there, um, we toweled off <laughs> and, uh, got to our seats and, uh, there were a bunch of interviews and then the draft started and, uh, you weren't sitting very long. Um, what what went through your mind uh, when you heard your name called for the first time as the number one overall pick? Uh, even though you told me, I still like, I don't know. I still didn't really believe it. And I was like, ah, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see when we get there, you know, but um, I still had my doubts. But I don't know. It was pretty surreal, you know, just to, uh, <clears throat> to be sitting there with the family and uh, friends. Um like I expected it, but I didn't expect it. You know, like it was still, I don't know, a little, um, a little crazy that it happened. You know, and I remember you told me, make sure you take, take your time. You know, it's your time. Make sure you say yeah. thanks and to your family and stuff. And, and I did, and I, I really appreciate that. And, uh, and then they walked to the stage and put the Jersey on, you know, for the picture. It was, uh, I don't know. It was, everything went by so fast. It feels like, you know, it's almost a blackout through all this, right. Until, Later on, when you can uh, sit back at the hotel and really uh, soak it in a bit. And soak it in, we did. I'll tell you uh, two things that I remember from uh, that day. <laughs> um, uh, it was around the... Uh, so so after you got drafted, um, Pittsburgh had a suite in the arena. And they invited uh, you and your entire party, everybody, yeah. To come with you up into the suite to watch the rest of the draft from the suite, the luxury box. So it's around uh, third round because back in those days, you did the entire draft in one day. It wasn't first round and wow. then go and do, 
you know, the second to the seventh round. There were nine rounds back then. And you did the entire draft from beginning to end. It was a long day. And it's around the third round and I'm getting a call on my phone. And, uh, and it was a 412 area code, but I didn't recognize it. And I went, you know, hello, uh, Alan. Yes, Alan, I'm the team media person for the Pittsburgh Penguins. We have a serious situation here. And I'm like, what's the matter? They're like, the entire flurry party is in the luxury box and we've run out of beer. <laughs> 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 I don't think oh, I don't think they were expecting like 17 people yeah. to go up into the box. The box was full. There wouldn't oh, get another geez. person in there. So yeah. I so I'm on the I go, I'm sitting in the second row, you know, next to clients here. Um, I suggest you very quickly go get some more beer. And they were like, oh, okay, thanks. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. So and one more, one more. And then I remember we, oh, we all went back to the hotel. And uh, and I had another I had another client, Milan Michalek, who has also an amazing family. And uh, the 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 flurry extended family clan and the, the Michaleks, you know. Czech people who spoke no English and then uh, <laughs> a, a family that spoke primarily French, they had bonded over that, you know, four or five days together. And here Mark went one and Milan went six overall to San Jose. And we got back to the hotel and, uh, and, and they were kind of closing up the bar. And I, and I went over to the guy, I said, listen, you know, we'll give you an extremely generous tip. There's a lot of people here who are really happy and would like to celebrate. Would you stay late and keep this place open? He's like, sure. He was like a, a, a real like Southerner. And he was like, he was drinking with us. The bartender was like <laughs> partying with us. Anyways, we went till about 4, 4.30 in the morning with the uh, Michalik family and the, and the, and the Flurry family, we were singing songs. They were singing in Czech. We were singing in French. Um, my, my French was fantastic that night. After <laughs> I was speaking pure land. It was awesome. And, uh, and I remember that night as a, as a really special night, especially how everybody kind of came together and uh, yep, there were uh, there were a lot of shots done that night from <laughs> from the private from the private Slivovica that was brought all the way from Czech Republic for the occasion. <laughs> I remember, yeah. right? Uh, uh, Milan's dad always had that uh, that drink, right? That he brought from home, and then it was just like pouring everybody some shots along the way. What is that? Good times, right? Yeah. So I forgot. It's a ho homemade. It? It's, it's, it's called it, it's called Slivovica. Okay. And it's homemade plum brandy. Whoa. Yeah. What is and, it good? And 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 if Strong. you don't have hair on your chest, <laughs> it will grow it <laughs> after one or two shots. Oh, uh, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So I mean, yeah. listen. You guys have got to be over the moon um, at that point. You know, obviously you're partying until 4 a.m. But, you know, Alan, I think you recognize this of being an agent as long as you have been. And Mark andre haven't been through it. 
there is a certain degree of pressure that comes with being a first overall pick, right? That, that nobody else probably, unless your first overall pick can relate to Pittsburgh was in a tough way at that time. The franchise had been sold and unsold, and there was a lot of talk about moving it. And you were sort of Mark Andre, the beginning of that, of that, how do you keep your head? And Alan, what do you say to your client? Who's just been drafted first overall after, you know, the, the party night wears off. Okay. What, you know, is there anything that you have to sit down with Marc-Andre Fleury and say, and Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, are you worried about it? Are you nervous? I'm curious about that. Uh, I think for me, not right away. I think it was uh, summer went on, uh, like usual, going to uh, workouts and training and all that. And then uh, camp comes around and um, obviously to me, it was nice, you know, to be drafted first, but it um, didn't mean I was playing, I was going to play in the NHL, you know, so. Uh, my goal was always to uh, to have a start to play in the NHL one day, and um, I knew I had to work and put in the work to to show that I could do it, right? And um, yeah, so I, at that point, I feel like I didn't really think too much about where I got drafted, but maybe once the season started and and the fact that we were losing, you know, almost every night, um, at at some point started to weigh on me, and then. I always read the paper since I'm you know, growing up and stuff, right? So that's something I've learned quickly. Stop, stop reading, you know, what um, media write, what people write about you and uh, just try to go about your day and in your work and stuff. But there was definitely not winning and, you know, giving up a lot of goals, obviously. It was uh, sometimes makes, I don't know, made me doubt, you know, uh, about my capabilities and what I could do and um, if I deserve to be a number one. And also, um, yeah, de- definitely. I think there's, there's some pressure that comes with it and, um, just going to find a way to put it aside and, um, just worry about, about you, about putting the work, like I said, and try to have some fun. Mm. Now let's talk about, uh, one of the great untold stories, uh, from, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's career. Uh, and it's the story around the signing of your first NHL contract. <laughs> because if you want to talk about a um, an entry into um, experiencing the business side of the game, here we go. So um, Mark heads to Pittsburgh for training camp, and it was extremely odd that Pittsburgh after drafting Mark one overall, didn't sign him to a contract. Even back then, the number one overall pick signed his first NHL contract within a week or two of the NHL draft. And I remember calling Pittsburgh's GM at the time, Craig Patrick, and he said, uh, yeah, we, you know, we have such severe financial issues here. Um, we're really going to wait until training camp and see if, if Mark makes the team. And if he doesn't make the team because he's 18 years of age, he has to go back to Cape Breton. So we're going to, we're just going to wait and see. And, and I was like, really, you're going to, you don't want to sign him now. Now the important nuance that needs to be understood here. Mark has a late birthday that's actually in November. After September 15, uh, if you're not signed 
to an NHL contract back then, after two years, you don't go back into the draft. You become an unrestricted free agent. So Mark had the ability, if he didn't sign with Pittsburgh, to become an unrestricted free agent at 20 years of age. Wow. After being the number one overall pick at 18. Right. So um, uh, Mark goes into camp and uh, he's staying in the team hotel, which is across the street from the practice rink. And uh, and and he has a great camp. It is a great camp. And uh, and and we're coming up to the, the deadline and the deadline at the time was September 30th, where Mark has to be signed to an NHL deal to stay in Pittsburgh, or they are obligated, no discretion, no choice, obligated to return him to junior. Okay. And uh, I called the hotel on September 28th, which was the last official day of camp. And everybody was then moving back to the big rink. Mm-hmm. And all of the player movements from the hotel, all the players were either sent to the American League, um, moved to a, another hotel by the rink, a few guys, or sent back to junior. And Mark had checked out of the hotel. And I had no idea where he was. So, Mark, where did you go? Uh, <clears throat> I went to stay with Mario for, uh, for a little while. Uh, As Mario Lemieux. Uh, yeah, that's one thing I gotta say though. Yeah, that was the, pretty. The, the owner, the owner of the team. <laughs> yeah, that, that was okay. Different, how did that? How did that happen? Uh, actually, like during camp, uh, Mario and, and Mark Bergevin, uh, Ramsey, um, they're always good to me. They always uh, take me out for lunch and um, you know, checking on me, make sure I was I was doing okay and everything was fine. Um, yeah, so at some point at the end of camp, there he asked me if I wanted to go uh, stay with him and his family. So obviously that was a huge, uh, huge honor for me. You know, I couldn't uh, decline that. No, and and I, and I remember you had dinner uh, the first night there, and there was a conversation about your contract. Do you remember that? Vaguely, vaguely. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds suspicious, gentlemen. <laughs> it, w- it, w- it went something like, um, you, you know, uh, uh, first of all, you've had a great camp and general manager is going to call Alan and uh, we're going to work on getting you signed. You know, congratulations. You're going to be here in Pittsburgh. Um, but Mark, it's very important that you um, tell your agent uh, to, you, you know, be very favorable with the first offer we give uh, because we don't have a lot of money here. We have severe financial issues and uh, we're going to, you know, you're going to make a lot of money in your career down the road. Um, you know, it would be really good if you talk to your agent about, you know, giving us a, a bit of a break here. Was that about what was said? <laughs> yeah, I think they could be right. <laughs> it sounds like it. But like, I don't know. I, I feel bad because it, 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 Mario was Mario and his 
whole family they were so uh welcoming um they, they were so great to me right so um i know he was trying to to do the best for his team and stuff um but and i would never hold this against him at all never it was like i said it was honestly uh, so nice to meet my family how did your agent react to that, Mark Andre? <laughs> what? You're at Mario's case. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, "What about the contract?" <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you gotta get deal first. Oh, so, yeah. Alan, what do you do? <laughs> what do you do there? Well, I I, I had a feeling that uh, uh, something uh, was coming, mm-hmm. and you know the the players that had gone number one overall back. In, in that era, there was uh, Rick DiPietro who went number one. There was uh, Ilya Kovalchuk that went number one. Uh, there was uh, Rick Nash who went one and Kari Leitinen, goalie, went number two. And then the following year was Mark number one. And if you look at all those contracts, all those contracts are fairly similar to each other mm-hmm. in structure. And back then, there was, um, if memory serves me right, a signing bonus of, of a million two hundred thousand total, which has now been reduced to ninety two thousand five hundred a year under the existing CBA. But most significantly, and where most of the negotiation took place, was over the performance bonus package, where all of the players together in that grouping of number one overall could get, uh, if they played at an extremely high level and hit the triggers for those bonuses um, up to uh, uh, $11 million over the life of the deal. Wow. So it was a significant contract, but it was a show-me contract because unless you hit these very high levers you weren't going to collect on it, but on paper, it was possible. And uh, I get a a fax from Pittsburgh with an offer that was uh, worth about half of what all the other players had signed for in, in this era. And if Mark had signed this contract, he would be setting back the number one overall pick from all these years that have all incrementally increased the size of the bonus package and it would be decimated mm. and, and it would be significant. And the guys who came, you know, next, you know, the following year and the following year um, would, would receive as, as the new flurry precedent um, a, a, a much lower contract. Hmm. And imagine being in the position of an agent needing to explain this to, to a 18 year old hockey player who just wants to play in the NHL and is being shown an offer worth a total of about $6 million, even though many, much of it was performance based. Uh, we're still talking about huge numbers. <clears throat> and Mariel Lemieux just said, come live at my house. So, you know, that's also that factors in, right? Like that's a, that's a big deal for, for, you know, yeah, not just any, any hockey player, but somebody from Quebec as well. Like that is just, that's crazy. Um, so 
so, you know, Mark, when, when Alan explains this to you, how do you even take that information? How do you soak that in? Uh, uh, like I said, it was hard to, uh, hard to understand. You know, I was like, I don't care. I'll just go play. <laughs> it's, it's good with me. Like, like you said, you know, like I'm staying with Mario, who is obviously a legend and one of the best hockey players ever. And, uh, he's very nice. His family is very nice. His kids, his wife, you know, um, yeah. So like money wasn't really a thing. Right. Um, I was just, just wanted to go play hockey. So it was a little bit hard to, uh, sometimes understand, you know, the business side of it and what was happening. And like Alan talked like about the, the next years after what, um, other players would have to go through, you know? And I remember, was it Bob Gunnell, Alan, like the head of the NHLP back then called Alan and said that good job for old, old on, you know, because that would screw up, uh, the next, you know, the next, not generation, but the next uh, few draft picks. Right. But- and, yeah. It got dramatic, right, Alan? It got a little bit tough. Yeah. Well, what 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 happened was um, my uh, partner in the business back then, uh, and my mentor in the business was David Chadia, and uh, I was already in Montreal. Uh, David got on a plane and flew to Pittsburgh, and met with Mark, and uh, he sat down with Mark and went over with a copy of the proposal and copies of all the other contracts of DiPietro and Kowalczuk and Nash and explained, you know, where the differences were and they were huge differences. And um, the decision was made by all of us that Mark would leave Pittsburgh on the 28th of September, come to Montreal and we would all be together. And either the contract gets done September 30th at, I believe, um, 5 p.m. was the deadline to register the contract with the NHL. And Mark will get back on a plane and fly back to Pittsburgh. Or he's going to get on a plane and fly to Cape Breton. But if he gets on a plane and flies to Cape Breton, He really is only one more year after that away from unrestricted free agency. So there's a lot of leverage there. And um, uh, I remember David telling me, he goes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm sitting in the back of the taxi and we're right in front of Mario's house because Mark said, I got all my stuff in Mario's house. I got to get my suitcase, my clothes. I can't leave it all there. And, and, and I think Mario was, was golfing and, and the house was empty. So Mark goes in and, and David's in the back of the taxi and, and the taxi driver says, is, is that really Mario's house? And David was terrified that Mario was going to pull up while Flowers taking everything down the stairs and coming out. Oh and, Dave, and David's like, just keep the engine running and keep the car pointed in that direction. And if you see Mario and you drive up, you know, you're taking off. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and, you know, and David described it to me. He's like, Mark, Mark coming with, you know, all the suitcases and clothes are everywhere, like carrying it all down and stuff it all in the back of the taxi and end up getting to the Pittsburgh airport and flying back to Montreal. And I'm sitting at our offices in Montreal and in walk, you know, Mark and David, um, very, very disheveled. 
everybody's kind of disheveled. It's the 28th afternoon of the 28th of September. And then uh, Mark's whole family came and joined us. And we basically had a vigil going on inside our offices for 48 hours uh, while we started a dialogue and continued negotiating with Pittsburgh up until the deadline. We were looking out the window of the offices and there was a RDS truck, a news truck positioned in front of the office, you know, so we had to go out the back door to avoid, you know, being on camera or, or talking to any, anybody. Uh, There were, um, it, it was a really intense 48 hours. And, and on the morning of the 30th, uh, Craig Patrick called and he said, um, uh, we've had a lot of discussions internally and uh, we're going to send you our best final offer and either you guys take it or you don't. He says, but I think you'll find it's in line with what you've been asking for and what the other players have received. So we get off the phone and, you know, the mood lightened a little, but now we're watching the clock. And it was around um, not till 3.30 that the fax machine starts ringing and pages start spitting out. And, and it was a fax machine that spit out one page at a time and then waited two minutes to spit out the next page. All right. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's spitting out one at a time. And we're talking about 30 pages coming and it was coming out so slow. So um, Mark and I set up in the conference room and Mark's dad was grabbing each page as it came out of the fax machine. And then Mark and I and David were reading the page and going through everything page by page. And, and Mark's dad would be bringing the next page and we put it there on the table and we're doing you know literally 30 pages going through it one by one by one by one. We finally had everything together. It was around 4.30. And uh, we faxed it back. I think Pittsburgh received it uh, in the, the full copy of the contract um, about 10 minutes before five. And the contract got registered four minutes before the 5 p.m. deadline. We made wow. it in four minutes. <sighs> Otherwise, it would have been Cape Breton for you, Mark Andre. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> is this all worth the risk? It's so stressful, man. Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, yeah. And it was, was there was something. What, what do you remember about that day? Um, obviously the <laughs> the stress in David's eyes too when he <laughs> came over to get me. Um, I feel like too. I, I felt bad um, leaving Mario's place. You know, like I've said, he was uh, so welcoming, so nice to me and his family too. Right, so it was. It was hard for me to just uh, back up and leave, you know, without talking to him or because he, he wasn't there, right? So I thought that was uh, one of the hardest thing I've done, and I felt bad. I like, feel so long I couldn't. Um, even when I came back, you know, I was still uh, 
it didn't feel good with me, right? But um, looking back, it was probably the right thing to do, you know, to, you know, and I was lucky to have uh, Alan David looking over me, right, to make sure I was um, taking care like, uh, like I should. And um, that's why I hired him, right? And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was very stressful to the last minute, but I'm so happy, though, that, you know, when you sign that first contract and um, that you're finally part of the team. Um, do you remember your first conversation with Mario after all that transpired? Um, I kind of stayed away. (laughs) (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) Uh, I remember I said, sorry, sorry for leaving. Uh, so, uh, such an rush, you know, without saying nothing, but he was good about it. He was always, you know, he was very, uh, always calm, cool, calm, you know, person. So, um, yeah, that's good. And over the years, you and Mario have had an incredibly close relationship. Yeah, it's good. Um, you know, he's, he still came to the room, you know, a bunch during my time in Pittsburgh. And um, obviously, we want some some trophies too, you know. So, um, yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's, like I said, such a, a gentleman, a great guy. And um, I only got he's still, uh, still part of the team. Well, he probably I remember- respects. Sorry, Adam, I remember, I remember talking to Mark about one thing in particular. Um, and, and many people recall this when, when Mario was drafted number yeah. one overall by the Pittsburgh Penguins, um, his agent had said to Pittsburgh, uh, Pittsburgh announced before the draft, we are keeping the pick mm-hmm. and we're drafting Mario Lemieux. It's over. There's no speculation here. We're taking him. So the agent contacted Pittsburgh and said, since you've already said you're, you're drafting him, let's work on the contract now. <laughs> and, uh, and let's have the contract done when he's drafted. And there were extensive negotiations going back and forth, and they were miles apart. And uh, Mario and his agent decided that when he was drafted by Pittsburgh, he was not going to the stage. He was not putting a jersey on. He was not putting a cap on. He was not shaking hands with anybody. He would be staying in his seat. And uh, there is video from the draft, the Montreal Forum. I was actually in the building. I was actually there. I attended that draft. And the Pittsburgh Penguins draft uh, from the Laval Voisin, Mario Lemieux, and Mario stood up and he turned to the crowd and he waved to everybody and he sat back down. Ooh. Right. Ooh. And, and, and the contract got done very soon after the draft. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, it was very much to Mario's liking. So my whole feeling always was this, and it's what I tell players and it's, it's the way it is. It's a business, mm-hmm. right? It, and, and being drafted number one overall is big business. And I think Mario, from the very beginning, respected Mark for taking that stand. And we were very clear. We don't want $1 more than what all those other guys got. But it's not fair to ask Mark to take $1 less. 
And that really was uh, a principle that Mario fought for himself when he went number one overall. Right. 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 So I think that um, when, you know, it's sort of when, you know, you're in the heat of battle in a game and the game is over and you see guys who were literally trying to take each other's heads off, you know, standing in the corner after the game in their, in their suits, laughing and talking with each other and giving each other little taps on the shoulders as they uh, pass each other. It very much had that feel to it where I think Mario really respected Mark. There was never any hard feelings. It was a 48 hour period. It was over and done with. And really to this day, nobody remembers what happened. And this story is probably going to be a revelation to many people who are going to say, I didn't know that happened because it passed incredibly fast. But at the time, it was a very important principle that Mark understood. And at the end of the day, we work for him, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. We work for him. And if he had said, you know what? I am going to take this contract, even though it's 50% of what all the other guys got. Um, That's the way it would be. But Mark understood the importance of holding the line for the next guy. And it wasn't so much thinking about himself because again, I don't think that was the concern, but I think that what really resonated with Mark was holding the line for the next guy who's not, you know, even drafted yet, who's going to be drafted number one overall, holding the line for that guy. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and that's why Bob Goodenow would have put in that phone call. And it's funny, you know, listening to that, I was going to say, Alan, it seems like Mario is the type of guy who would respect a tough negotiator. So um, anyway, it's, 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 uh, it's fascinating to hear a story like that. And I'm just trying to imagine myself being 18 years old and having to deal with choices like you had to deal with. That is that, you know, with a guy who I had Mario's posters on my wall, yeah. you know, that, that is, that is intense, intense stuff. But you also chose to be a goalie at the NHL level. So ice in your veins is probably something that you're good at. Oh, geez. I, I would definitely rather uh, play hockey and play with my mask on than having to deal with all the business side of it, for sure. No okay. so, so, so let's put the business side away for a moment. And let's talk about some of the fun that you like to have uh, in the room and around the guys and, and, and when playing the game. And, and I've assembled some of my favorite moments over the course of your career. Um, do you have any moments that stick out in your mind? I just playing on the ice, like stupid stuff sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Stuff like that, yeah. <laughs> or, or in the room or with the oh, guys or after the, guy, after the games. You got a bit of a reputation. Uh, I guess. I feel like I've been like, I've slowed down though. Maybe it's age catching up. I've, I haven't been as sharp or as, you know, I haven't done as much maybe, but uh, one thing I like is always if I can sneak in somebody's room. I think that's my... Uh, I like that one because then there's so many options, right? And they don't know what's going to hit them. <laughs> so that's yeah. always good. So why don't you when, tell people what you do with the toilet? Oh, uh, geez. Yeah. So like <laughs> when, when we arrive like at the hotel, usually there's a, a table with all our names uh, on envelopes with the keys in it. You know, so most times there's two keys. Mm-hmm. So if I, uh, so I would hurry up first off the bus and grab somebody else's key and then go to the room. 
Yeah, I'll probably take turkeys. But then, <laughs> all right. <laughs> so once you're there, <laughs> um, you can panic or relax. Uh, I think I like the toilet. So if you go, you take off like the cap the, from the tank, right? Yeah. And then there's like a little tube that when you flush the toilet, the water comes back in the tank. And then when it's full enough, then it stops. But if you, you can't, usually it's a rubber tube. So you pull it out of there. And then you put it like on the ledge of the toilet like this. And you put the top yeah. of it the cap on it right so you barely see the tube so next time the guy goes to the restroom and then he, he flushes it then the water just keeps like coming out at him you know and it doesn't stop <laughs> yeah <laughs> so i kind of like that <laughs> i've never heard of that i've never heard of that it's a good one yeah yeah, yeah. No, yeah. there's, a, there's about a 30 second stream of water yeah. coming at you like a fire hose <laughs> yeah. oh, it's not the top of your face the other way too <laughs> yeah <laughs> exactly amazing um i think you call downstairs for a workup call like you know, three in the morning, um, put the heat on, you know, the short sheet, it's like the, um, you move the sheets and on the bed. So then it's folded in half. So when, it, when you lay into it, your feet don't go all the way to the bottom. You're like stuff to explain. So it's like, you're pulling on it, but your feet's old in it, you know, and then you're just stuck. It. Anyway. All right. That's tough to say. <laughs> yeah. One of my, um, one of my favorite, one of my favorite, was uh, a couple of guys had just been called up from the miners uh, with Pittsburgh and the team is on the road and they went out for dinner with a couple of vets. And while they were out for dinner, Mark and, uh, and, and a few players had a key, oh. went into their room and moved the entire room out of the hotel room to outside the elevator oh. bed, the box spring, the night tables, the lamps, the only thing left in the actual hotel room were four walls and some wires hanging on the wall. It was, like, it was an empty box and the elevator door opens and these two rookies come out of the uh, elevator and uh, they look and they see an entire hotel room just outside the elevator in the corridor. And uh, one of the players is going, Please let it not be 1382. Please let it not be 1382. Please let it not be 1382. And he looks at the phone and he goes, shit, 1382. <laughs> and then it took him about two hours to pick up the entire room and put it back together again. Right. Oh, man. And these guys, these guys were asked afterwards, you know, what they were going to do about it. And they said, it was a great line. They said, we're going to make inquiries. We're going to investigate. And we are going to find out who did this to us. And then we're going to do absolutely nothing about it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yeah. I had wow. the there. Good, good teammates helped me out with that one. That's good. Uh, I think one of my favorite too, was just a little random one, was um, in 2009 before uh, Game 7 in Detroit. I was, uh, I forgot which hotel I was saying that, but all afternoon I'm trying MGM. to. MGM. MGM. MGM, right? MGM. Yeah. Trying to take my nap right in the afternoon. And there was like, you know, obviously a bunch of hockey people uh, going to the game that day. And then they're just partying in the room, you know, next door, a couple doors down. So they were pretty loud. So I couldn't sleep good. Always, you know, a little bit nervous already and stuff. So I couldn't sleep. So when I got up, I, you know, I got dressed with my suit on, took my luggage, and I 
put a gar- my garbage st- garbage can. I filled it up with water and put it on, on their door. <laughs> and then I knock and then I like just ran away. <laughs> so then they opened the door and then <laughs> the garbage water found the room. It was just, and then I could hear them, oh, geez, we got this, we got this. <laughs> no, no, I was just laughing. It's like, uh, sometimes just little things, you know, makes me uh, laugh or, you know, by myself. It's just, yeah. I got them. Yeah. One of my one of one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite was in uh, in Vegas. Um, Vegas is down by a goal, and uh, and and Mark took the paddle of the stick down and basically <laughs> built a snow wall in the last minute and a half of the game, just before he was getting um, pulled for an extra attacker. So Mark builds this like snow wall across the crease, <laughs> and, uh, and and like very painstaking about it, gets it all built up. Uh, and then goes to the bench and you see uh, somebody on the other team told the linesman and the linesman skate over to the empty net and they're kind of looking at the snow and they start moving it with their skates and you've got like two linesmen and one of the refs are out there like trying to clean the ice, the snow chips away and, and clear it all out. And then the ref comes over to the bench and he starts talking. Mark is sitting on the bench and starts talking to Mark and Mark's got his glove up over his face and the camera actually caught Mark's face. He's howling. He's howling <laughs> so hard. And the two teammates on either side of him are laughing. Oh, and, and Turk doesn't know what's going on. So he kind of looks over <laughs> and he comes in and sticks his head in to like hear what the ref is saying. And then Turk starts laughing, you know, and this is a team down a goal, you know, in the last minute and a half of the game. And everybody on the bench oh, is laughing sorry. over this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh geez but it's like I don't know like if, I, I hate losing right it really bothers me but I don't know it was like uh, maybe a 2-1 games. Uh, the game went pretty well I think for me but you now we're losing so usually I never laugh I'm pretty serious but I don't know the, why but the fact that everybody panics so much like they got a call the other team's yelling the refs are <laughs> yelling <laughs> trying to clean it up I was just like you know because our team was in the other zone the whole time so I had nothing to do really so I just like keep putting stone in front of my crease right trying to make it nice but um <laughs> Yeah, so then I don't know the chaos that created, you know, for a little bit of snowbank up there was I don't know made me laugh. No, <laughs> man, oh jeez. Yeah, one <laughs> yeah. one other one that I loved um, after a game, uh, you and Max Talbot decided that you were going to answer all the questions from the Pittsburgh uh, beat reporters only in French. So they're asking you questions in English. And all of a sudden you're answering them only in French and Max is sitting next to you as his, uh, as, as your translator. And uh, the question was, um, you know, the shots on goal in the first period was something like uh, 15 to two or 12 to two against you guys. You know, what were you thinking in your mind? Uh, you know, only getting two shots in the period. And, and you gave a, 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 a long answer in French. And then Max says something like, well, you know, it was only two shots, but I made two great saves. And uh, those two saves were like really game-changing moments. And uh, really, you know, I, I had a, you know, one of my best games and it was me, 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 I, I, I. And, and Max finished and everybody was quiet. And then Mark goes, I didn't say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know why we did that. Or, I don't know. Because you just, can. You got to break can, up the man. monotony, right? Yeah, sometimes. Exactly. And yeah. Max Max is awesome with that, too. He's always uh, game for anything, right? Always, you know, loves to have a good time. And um, it is, though. I feel like sometimes our interviews are always the same, you know, we always yeah. the same answers and stuff. So um, it's good to have a little fun with it. 
There is a, uh, sorry, go ahead, Alan, go ahead. No, no, go, go ahead, Adam. Well, I, I hope you don't mind me bringing this up, but there is a picture over Alan's, it's our, on our left, but it's, it's Alan's right shoulder. Can you see that, Mark? Mm, not so much. Hold on. No? Okay. Uh, there's a big trophy and a penguin with a hockey stick on the logo. I'm not sure if you can see that one there. Um, but uh, Alan, I mean, this is, uh, it's hanging in your office. Mark, you mentioned it. Uh, it's the, uh, it's the, <laughs> it's the one behind you there. The Stanley oh, Cup. Oh, that one. That yeah. One. The one where you guys oh, are holding it serious. together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was I wanna... to look on the wall, like the little pictures. <laughs> and see, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. A little higher, a little higher. Um, yeah, that, that's a, that's a replica cup, uh, signed by Mark, uh, from, uh, 2009. And the, and the picture on the other side, um, what was that moment like for the two of you? You know, you guys had been, you know, Quebec major junior draft, the NHL draft, the very dramatic signing of your first contract, a couple of tough years at the beginning in Pittsburgh. And obviously, you know, then some heartbreak the season before with the Stanley cup, and then obviously winning it game seven. Um, what was that like for the two of you? Cause it feels like it was a journey that you guys were on together. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> it was amazing. You know, I, I love that Alan was able to uh, come on the ice at the end there too uh, when we when we won. And my mom, dad, uh, sister, wife, and uh, and Alan was there. You know, so um, like you said, I think we we had been through a bunch. You know, though it was early in my career at that time, and um, you know, Alan was always always on my back, and um, and he's such a fan of the game too, right? He, he will do everything for for his players and and love loves hockey and stuff and um i don't know and to to see the happiness in his eyes you know when, once we uh could celebrate there together and lift the cup together i think it was um it was amazing you know I get, i'm glad we got to uh, to share that moment together and um yeah keep it in mind for fire yeah there's uh, i'll i'll tell you adam uh uh i was i was out on the ice and uh, and I'm going towards center ice, and Mark's back was to me, um, and he was hugging a teammate, and I hit Mark on the back of the <laughs> jersey, and he turned around, and we jumped into each other's arms, and like my feet were off. The, the ice. I was like <laughs> holding him with my feet like, wrapped around him. And uh, in, in, in my entire career uh, working in hockey, that is a moment that is etched in my brain and I will never forget. Did that party go till 4am as well? Or... <laughs> no, because they, they, they were flying back to Pittsburgh. Right. So yeah. the road, so, so yeah. we, were, we were, we they were in Joe Lewis and, uh, and, and the party went from the ice to the dressing room. And, and then after, you know, maybe an hour in the dressing room, hour and a half in the dressing room, everybody bugged out, uh, to the airport to fly back to Pittsburgh. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And the party continued there too. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say <laughs> that airplane probably was a fun time, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, great time, great time, definitely. Yeah. And you know, <laughs> it's it's funny having done it a few times. Is there a is there a time that stands out, Mark, for you? Like you, you know, you've you've got three of them, but 
um, obviously, you know, I, I, is there, is there anything like the first one? Does the second one feel like, ah, oh, this is a little more routine or, or is it always sort of just that? I can't believe we got here. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know if I can okay. answer that properly, but uh, my, uh, my first one definitely to me is, is my best one. I don't know. Uh, Cause obviously it was the first time, first time I could touch the cup, lift it up, you know, give it a kiss and <laughs> drink out of it. You know, it was, it was I think it made me realize, you know, how hard it is to get there. Because once the gun in the room, everybody laughed. I just sat in my stall and I was, I was gas. You know, I think the playoffs were long and hard, physically, mentally, stressful, right, and all that. And um, but the feeling at the end when you win, you know, and, and you've been through all that, and you're the champ. There's, there's nothing like it, right? And um, yeah, so I think that that first cup definitely had the. A uh, special feeling for me. Um, the two afterwards, uh, I wasn't playing the last game, you know, to to win the cup, you know. So I think it was maybe um, a little different, different feeling inside, you know, definitely when you're sitting on the bench and cheering instead of uh, on the ice battling for for it. For the last six point two seconds. The last six point two seconds. Oh yeah, jeez, at that face. Yeah. That's a little more crazy than yeah to be, but um, great memories still. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Well, listen, Mark, you've been incredibly generous with your time and we really appreciate it. Um, I only have one more question for you and, yep. and that's to talk about um, the sore tweet that I put <laughs> out there in Vegas. Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> out of time. We're out of time. Steve told me I had to I'm ask that question, sorry. Alan. Oh, sorry. Yes. Mark, you're going to have to come on again. Yes. Yeah, sometime yeah. in the future. Call so my agent. We'll set it up. We can tell the whole story about yeah. that. Okay. Yes, definitely. I'll, yeah. Okay. I might not have the same number, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>